Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists and in each episode we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. I can't wait for this episode. What's coming up? Oh, we've got a look at one of my favourite things, which is winter flowering plants, that forgotten category of plants, the ones that give us those wonderful, wonderful colours across winter. We've got some tips on tidying up the garden and planning, and then we have a real McCoy garden expert, Nicola from Peepo Design, coming in to give us her insights into what's happening with garden design and some great tips for what to do now. And don't forget, later on, Milton Black will be here to give us his tips for gardening by the moon. So let's get started. Hey, Jen, it's winter. It's cold. It's freezing. <laughs> it's oh god, I the hate garden. the winter. <laughs> Doesn't it look like your garden has just been steamrolled by winter? Oh, my garden is just awful because I get so much shade. I get five months of shade in the winter time. That so. is a lot, and but that is a problem that people encounter because we get that big change in position of the sun. Yeah. So suddenly, what was a little bit beneficial during summer, giving you some nice shade, is suddenly your absolute worst enemy. And the lawns in the shade, and the garden beds are in the shade, and everything's damp with all this rain. Yes. It's not good. No, not good at all. But you know what gets forgotten about? There are some fantastic winter flowering plants and they're a great way to bring your garden alive during these cold times and keep you feeling upbeat and vibey. So um, I have some of my faves, but why don't you tell me what some of yours are? Well, some of my favourites are um, the flowering quince that comes out Mm. late winter. That's one of the a first forgotten one, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes. And they're just so startling. Gorgeous, gorgeous crimson. There's no leaves on the tree. They're totally bare and then suddenly pop. And they come in pinks and, and pale pinks as well. They're it's, really gorgeous. It's almost biblical, isn't it? It's like the burning bush. It suddenly Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Upright stems with those incredibly vibrant. It, it's it's impossible not to wow over it. When it is you a see wow it. plant. It yeah, really is. Yeah, when you see it happening. Um, but and, I, I reckon my favourites are the the comedians, the queens yes. of cool, yeah, as I call them, queens of cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are just rocking the garden when nothing else is really, really putting on a big blousy show. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of them. You know, you get your sasanquas starting all the way through in in autumn, mm. and then you get the rest of them follow through in winter and even as far as into spring. And what folks don't realise is there's actually three main camellia varieties that give you those fantastic colours. So you've got the sasanquas. They're the very modern contemporary one that are often used for hedging. Mm-hmm. There's the japonicas, which are the classic old ones that our, our parents would have planted. Mm-hmm. 
Um, My parents did, yes. Yes, yes. Lots of um, really brilliant um, hybrids with a big central boss in the flowers and and often streaky flower colours, some really cool Some of the patterns are just beautiful. Oh, they're truly, truly divine and some are almost water lily-like in the the shape of the flower. Mm -hmm. But then the one that's not very well known is the reticulatas and they're the very old-fashioned one. They prefer shade. They're a bit fussy on conditions. But their flowers can be up to the size of a saucer. Like they are really, really big flowers and absolutely stunning. Bit harder to find yes. if you've got the right conditions. You know, it, they can I, actually, be I don't think I've seen one in my area at all. No, you'd, you'd need to be talking to a camellia specialist to try yeah. and get hold of one, but worth investigating if you've got the right conditions because they are truly, truly spectacular. Yeah. One of my favourites is one that looks very similar to that, and that's the fried egg tree. Goodonia, yes, yes, yes. Which worth is the- really, you don't see it quite so often these days. It's, it's not sold a lot, but I reckon it should make a revival because it's like the flowers are like the camellia, but they just you just can't get them in the white with that beautiful, lovely yellow center. And and they're such a pure white flower too, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, with that that definite yellow center to them. But they don't go yellow on the on on the tree. They mm. just fall off white and they lay on the ground white and. Unlike buttered toast, they land the right way up. <laughs> so you just see all these fried eggs around the tree and they, and they just look gorgeous. They look fantastic. I can remember them as a kid and finding them very, very amusing seeing them. Yeah. But they're, they're incredibly hardy too. And I think that's why, as you say, you know, worthy of a comeback because they are a very tough and beautiful garden plant with really nice foliage. I mean, most of the time we think about camellias as having those slightly pointy oval shaped mm. leaves, but the, Gordonias tend to have a longer leaf and are very glossy, so they're actually very, quite very handsome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And make a gorgeous tree, but you can also shape it into a sort of a protective hedge if you want to. Mm. Um, well, I think that's the thing with a lot of the camellias is they do tolerate pruning extremely well. I remember years ago talking to a guy from a camellia society where they'd had a big bushfire went through his place and he had gardens full of you know fifty year old camellias. And I said, oh, it must be terrible. You've lost all your camellias. And he said, nah, mate, they'll be back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are that hardy. They'll still shoot back from the right yeah. from the base. So yeah. you can you can prune camellias quite hard. Mm. Another one of my favorites is the um, Pyrrhus japonica, the lily of the valley shrub. Mm, yes, 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 indeed, and that's that's fantastic for cooler areas. You will yes. need you will need a spot where it is quite cool yeah. or or shady if you're in a warmer sort of zone. It's one of those ones that the warmer you get, the more shaded you want to perform well. But the flowers are just they look like porcelain, don't they? Just little little hanging. Well, they remind me of a bridal veil. Mm. You know, really lacy, and and actually they're really popular in bridal yes. bouquets as well. Yes, absolutely. They are absolutely beautiful. Um, and the orchids, the cymbidiums, they're, oh, a, they're yes. a winter flower, which, yes. you know, they, funny, I, I think more people have orchids than realize they have orchids because they seem to be one of those plants that gets passed from family to family to family. You know, you, your folks moved out of their home and they left you these couple of pot plants of strappy leaved plants and you got no idea what they are. No idea. Well, <laughs> they may actually be orchids. Yes, yes. <laughs> but they put on a great show at this time of year. They, but, I've got a, I've got a neighbor who's got a paved courtyard at the front of her garden and she's just put pots and pots and pots of cymbidians and you can just sort of feel just ready for them to explode. Yeah, they, they are, they're amazing. And surprisingly, you can put them not so much in the ground, but on the ground. If you have the right sort of shady spot that mm. gets warm enough during, during summer without getting hot, 
you can put them in, put a, a big mound of orchid bark, just the same way you would like a mulch, and you can actually plant into that. And they will do quite well in the garden as long as their roots don't get wet or stay yeah. wet. But yeah. my absolute favourite at this time of year is the cliviers. <gasps> <laughs> they are beautiful, aren't oh, they? Oh, they are stunning. Do you say clivia or clivia? Clivia. Clivia. Yes, I say clivia. It's well, it's named after the wife of one of the clives of India. And funnily enough, when you look in textbooks, sometimes it's spelt with an I, sometimes with an E. So it is a bit confusing and you can be allowed to call it either. Of course but you can. The, everybody knows Clivias for their beautiful orange blooms, that gorgeous strappy foliage all year round. They love the shade. They mm-hmm. absolutely thrive in the shade. But we were talking about this off air before. It's not just orange. There's all salmons and greens and creams and, and stunning yellows and open flowers. and The colours are sort of like luminescent. Do you know like um, – mm. psychedelic even. They just really, really pop, don't they? And uh, Well, particularly because they're happening, you've got that dark green foliage, then you've got this incredibly vibrant orange or cream or whatever the colour range may be in front and above that dark green foliage and often happening in a shady spot. If you've got a shady corner, they would Mm. just absolutely bring that spot to life. So they're they're a fantastic one for a a winter garden colour splash. And what about anything else? Anything else you can think of now? Any of the proteas, a lot of the um, banksias as well coming out? Many of the natives, yes, which is fantastic and it it provides lots and lots of food for our feathered friends during winter because foraging can be very difficult for them at this time of year. So the grevilleas and banksias and things like that can be fantastic to have in the garden for some winter foraging for, for birds and other little animals at night. So, yeah, they're a fantastic one. And they look gorgeous too, yeah. of course. I mean, I love the proteas simply – I mean, they're not Australian natives. They're from South Africa. But they they sort of add sort of architecture to the garden as mm. well. They look like statues. They're so And they're so long-lasting. Absolutely. And fabulous cut flower too, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can wrap up our winter flowering talk without talking about the uh, the trumpet cl- creeper or the flame <gasps> creeper, the – Pyrostegia venusta. Yes. It is just absolutely spectacular, is it not? Oh, it's stunning. That just cascade of orange against the, you know, the little green leaves. They just look fabulous. You know, you put them by a fence and they'll just go berserk. They just love wire fences. And, especially. and the number of flowers too. I, mm. I, I liken them to being the way when you see the, the fireworks off the Harbour Bridge in Sydney, the big cascade, it's like a cascade l- l- that looks like yes. that in vibrant And it orange. is like Just a fireworks, fantastic. isn't it? It, it just is, sort of absolutely. explodes all over. Wonderful. Yes. So winter in the garden. Not, not bad that at all. quiet at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Garden Better from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I have always been a fan of winter in the garden. I've got to admit, I do. It's it's just there's something about it. I know the garden can look terrible and tired and everything else, but there's not that sense of urgency to do things. No, there isn't any urgency. And also you get to see the garden naked. I mean, not you, <laughs> but the garden is naked. It's lost a lot. No one should be seen naked in the garden. That's just <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but I, I love, I love looking at the bare bones of the trees and everything. They just, you know, suddenly you realise, oh my god, there's a bark there. Yeah, the the wonderful framework. Particularly, I'm a big fan of Japanese maples, and that's that's one of the reasons I love them. Is that during the the warmer months, you get you know that incredible kaleidoscopic mm. effect from the different colours as they they have their spring colour, then they bed down to their summer colour, then they get their autumn colour. But then all the leaves drop away, and you get this wonderful framework. You know mm. that you just didn't even realise was there. So you know, like yeah. a, like well, a, my favourites, the um, silver birch. Mm, yes. Now oh. you 
it's really beautiful. That's that's a special one for people who live in, in cooler climates and the gorgeous, gorgeous silver trunk with those stripes of black like little blisters coming out. They're fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, the lovely, lovely colour. You just want to reach out and touch them. It makes makes for a very beautiful textural landscape. And it gives you that real feeling of, of change too, doesn't it? That that seasonal change. But it's a great time to be getting stuff done. You know, you can see things through a different lens because everything is bare. You can more easily see things like where people have been using the garden and how they've been using the garden. So mm. it gives you that opportunity to have a bit more of an overview about, about what you're going to do with ideas for changing your layout. You know, I remember hearing them called years ago desire paths, you know, that we, put our gardens together and we say, okay, well, everybody's going to walk this way and they're going to follow and this then little they don't. path. And then they don't. <laughs> don't fight the tide. You know, it's a great time to be turning that desire path into a proper pathway yes. and, and reorganising the garden around that. There's a lot of uh, simple things you can do for prepping the garden for spring too, of course. You know, it's it's. I know it's winter, but there's still spring prep stuff you can do that will be of great benefit that – and it's not so much hard work. I think this is the biggest point, that some of those projects that you might want, if you've been thinking about a deck or a paved area or something like that, thinking about building that during summer, ugh, forget it, just too hard. But during winter, it actually becomes a lot more of a pleasant task to do. It can be cold in wintertime, but I mean, doing all those outside projects really, really does warm you up. And I think it's so important to get out in the sun, whatever the temperature Yes, well, they say you get your vitamin D, don't you? Yes, you do. It helps with that sort of down feeling we get during winter. So, no, I'm 100%. I love getting out in the garden and working during winter. But also we mentioned trees and maintenance before too. It is a it is a good time to be doing a bit of pruning on some of those deciduous trees. But with you, as you mentioned, they're very open. You can see a lot of things you can't normally see within the tree. You can suddenly find out that you've got some borer yes. on some internal branches. So yeah. it's a great time to be getting out there and pruning this sort of stuff off. And a big one that people don't don't realise causes a major issue and in fact can lead to problems like borer is where you get crossing and rubbing branches. So have a look up into the framework of your tree and if you've got a couple of branches that are crossing over – Take off the one that's either the most damaged or is the most spindly so that can avoid all sorts of disease problems further down the track. Well, if you're going to be trimming and pruning, I think also it's a good time to trim back your perennials. The time is right for that if you haven't already. It's just to get them ready for when they burst into um, growth in springtime. Mm, well, it makes them much more dramatic, doesn't it? Rather than bursting up through a rosette of dead leaves from mm. last season, they're coming up with this vibrant foliage all of their own. So absolutely fantastic time to be do it, doing it. And what about um, getting rid of some of the old stuff in the veggie garden? Of course, there's some things are probably just on the downhill at the moment and yeah. there's not much point in trying to resuscitate them. So worth pulling out that old stuff in the veggie garden and even fluffing a bit of compost through the soil. Yeah, to and digging up the soil again. Yes. I think it's so important. It's a great time of the year to be doing that. It, it is, it, it is. Just if, get ready for all those lovely spring and summer veggies. And of course, the caveat on that though is you don't want it, if the soil's very wet, you don't want to be going digging it too much and particularly Especially not if it's clay, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, another one of the reasons that I love the winter garden is um, anyone that knows me knows that I will actively seek opportunity to do absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> 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 doing nothing is very underrated, let me tell you. I think it's a oh. wonderful thing. It allows you lots of headspace to do your thing. And winter gives you that time where you've got all the excuse you need in the world to sit out there in the garden and seek some inspo. Flick through your latest copy of Better Homes and Gardens for some, some fantastic design inspo. And 
have a think about the projects that you might want to look at to do either now while it's cooler or as we head towards spring. And I thought what better way to get some inspiration on projects and ideas and talk to a real McCoy designer. We have with us Nicola Cameron, who is a director and designer at Pepo Botanic Design. Welcome, Nicola. Pepo, the tagline is design gardens that inspire, connect and restore. I absolutely love it. I reckon that nails what gardens should be for everyone. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, we've chosen that because of, well, they've all got double meaning. So inspire, we want to draw people outside. We often, when we meet clients for the first time, their garden's a mess, they're overwhelmed, they've, you know, it might be really unhealthy or overgrown, or it might even be a complete blank canvas. So firstly, it's inspiring the homeowners to really see the vision that you can and see the potential in the garden. So inspiring people to be plant and garden lovers is kind of the the key to what we're trying to do with inspiration. Connect, um, connect again has a bit of a double meaning. You can connect the inside to the outside and really draw people into those spaces um, outside where what it might be a living space or a uh, dining area connecting those plants. We're loving indoor plants at the moment and seeing that indoor foliage and then the outdoor foliage. But also in this technology-rich world, connecting people to the outdoors and immersing them in nature and it's vitally important and what a better way than to do this in their own gardens. Yeah, well, that's what we were talking before we came on air about about so many people these days are into their screens and that's where they spe- seem to spend half their time. And it's, I think the logic can be be on your screen, but why don't you be on your screen in your garden surrounded by something beautiful, you know, because the reality is I don't think we're going to get people off their screens, but we may as well give them beautiful environments to be in. Interesting you mentioned indoor plants too, because I've noticed in my years in the industry, we went from, we often used to have the outdoor room, you know, it was discussed as being the extra room to the house, but now there's much more of a a seamless transition. So the the indoors flows smoothly to the outdoors and you, you almost don't know when you step from one area to another and indoor plants are a fantastic way to achieve that, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. There's some beautiful vessels to put them in. There's some amazing pots out there that have um, got history and patina and just look fabulous. So you can really connect it not just with the planting but with your materials as well. So we're loving seeing lots of indoor plants and also, of course, the health benefits of indoor plants. They're cleaning the air. The soils giving oxygen through into the rooms. You know, there's there's multi layers of those indoor plants. Well, that's a fascinating thing, isn't it? When they first started studying indoor plants, they thought, oh, it's all about the the actual normal biological function of the plant. And then they thought, hang on, this doesn't actually add up. And they found a lot of it was all that that fabulous beneficial beneficial bacteria and everything mm. in the soil were the things that were contributing contributing to scrubbing the air and making everything nice and clean which is uh, it, it's fascinating isn't it now apart from plants and those beautiful planters what sort of what are some other hot trends that you're seeing at the moment so I'm seeing lots of um, as you say that that sort of indoor outdoor journeys those big sliding doors Bifolds are probably more out at the moment, but really sliding the doors back and and extending those indoor spaces, which is always fabulous. Fire pits are really um, in at the moment as mm. well, um, which I kind of I think that's just such a great thing. We um, we don't have one ourselves; we have an indoor fire, but 
we went to a friend's place the other uh, couple of weeks ago and just sat around this fire pit and we cooked the, the steaks on the fire pit and looked up at the stars and it was just the most beautiful evening and meaning that you don't have to go camping for the weekend. You can go over to your friend's place and have Sunday night around the fire pit. So they're really big and I think they're going to continue to be, which is a great way to draw people outside in the evening. Garden lighting's big as well. Everybody's sort of feeling that they can, with those fire pits and those outdoor experiences, also use great little things like festoon lights which hang from um, from pergolas and, and trees and canopies and things like that. As far as colours go, green is a colour that's in, in furnishings and fittings in the interior design world. So we're loving that because obviously green's a big colour outside and that can be a connection between the indoors and the outdoors. Lots of natural materials, stones, sandstone, bluestone, um, crazy pavings back, which is, um, which is a bit of fun in all sorts of different forms. So some beautiful bluestone, crazy paving. And that's meaning that the edges of lines are kind of blurred too. So gardens kind of coming into paved areas, plants mm. spilling over. Well, and the beauty of that too is those irregular type of shapes. They, in fact, can make it a lot better in a smaller space because you can get a feeling of a bigger space. When when you have unitary paving in standard sizes, your typical normal paver, you do tend to get a very regimented feeling of size. But, yeah, you, you lose that, don't you, in a small space in particular once you start going for that randomised look with crazy paving. Absolutely, and it means that you can just pocket little plants in amongst the paving and things like that so it can really soften a space and cool a space as well. Yeah. Now, what do you reckon? What are some simple projects? Because it's I, I, we've been talking before about how it's a good time of year to be doing some really – easy, simple things that people can accomplish themselves. What do you reckon are some good things that people can knock off at this time of year without without too much hassle and too much expense? So there's a few things that you can do as far as design goes. There's certainly, again, we, we're talking about the indoor plants, what a great thing to, um, to do on those winter weekends when you don't really want to go outside, but purchasing a nice big pot that's um, – that's really spectacular and popping that into the corner with a, with, um, there's lots of big leaf foliage that'll do really well, um, inside. So I think that's a great project. Um, I really also think that obviously soil is the everything for a garden. So improving soil in the winter is a great thing to do. So topping up with compost and cow manures and things like that and then mulching. So I think that's a gr- they're two great jobs and it's always a time for decluttering. So throwing out all those old plastic pots or, you know, pots that are holding on to too much water or the plants that have died or even, you know, repotting the plants that sort of need a bit more of a new life. Yeah, sometimes you have to face that fact that that plant you've been trying to resuscitate for the last two and a half years, it just isn't ever going to come good, is it? <laughs> No, or maybe it just needs some love. So <laughs> maybe it needs the right type of love and sticking it in a corner and ignoring it was not working very well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, I mean, that was a couple of great tips on winter maintenance. Have you got another one? What would you think is a, a nice, neat one that people can do to get their garden ready for spring so they can they can be out there enjoying it? Well, I think as you've mentioned, the shaping plants, it's a fabulous time to really to really be critical 
In fact, in design, they often say take a photo of your garden um, in in put a black and white setting on it, so you can really see the shapes and the forms. Winter's a great time to do that. You don't even need to take the photo really because there's some grey old days. So you can really look at those forms, look at the look at the foreground, look at the background, look at the height, um, shaping deciduous trees, making sure that they're they're balanced in the landscape. Um, doing all of that pruning is winter's a perfect time to do that. But also always check, make sure that uh, the plant's not about to flower or it's coming into its flowering time. So do a little bit of research. That can be done in a nice warm room and then go out and um, into the winter and get stuck into it. Well, and that's it's a good point too is that there's a lot of plants that do take very well to pruning that, that people may not realise. So if they do a little research, they might be surprised to find they've got some stuff that will be very easily trimmed into shape or, or taken into a nice new form and lifting canopies, even simple things like that can do wonders at this time of year. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Nicola, and people can see more of your work at Pipo Botanic Design, pipo.com.au. And make sure you check out the pics of the beautiful Queen's Park Pool Garden. I am just totally crushing on that uh, that wall of reclaimed Italian terracotta tiles. It is just gorgeous. Oh, thank you, Adam. It's been fun. <laughs> Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How are you? Oh, very well, Jenny. And yeah. uh, what an exciting sort of a week we're going to have this week for the garden yeah. because it's it's maintenance time. It uh-huh. really is good maintenance time. And I hope everyone's got their secateurs sharpened up and their spades sharpened and all getting ready with their compost heaps to spread the compost and do the fertilising and cutting the lawns and all that sort of thing too because you don't need to really cut the lawns much in the winter mm-hmm. coming in. But this is a great week for these sort of things. But if we have a look at Monday, Day the uh, 24th, of course, we've got the moon in Pisces, and that's a, a very, very fertile sign. So we have the below-ground planting, anything like your onions and uh, potatoes, seed potatoes can go in there too at this stage, your radishes, anything that grows below the ground. So, And uh, don't forget, you can put bulbs in still. You've still got a little bit of time to put those mm-hmm. bulbs that's in. That's right, yes. And, uh, and, and they can be done too during that particular period. But then... The moon goes into Aries and it's the last quarter of the moon. Now, that's a no-no for planting. You can pot around your garden and get things ready for a big week of garden maintenance because there's no real good planting that's going to happen from the 25th running right through until, um, I would say, Tuesday the 2nd of July. Now, what's happening there, the moon is going into hiding. So it's going into the last quarter before it comes up to a a new moon, which is on the um, Wednesday um, the 3rd of July. So from virtually um, Wednesday the 26th right through until the um, 3rd of July, all you do is garden maintenance. Now, this is an excellent time uh, to get all that uh, spraying done around the place. Those that want to use their spray, uh, look for your leaf over your, your lemon trees and things like this. Uh, all your plants that need spraying, it's an ideal time to do it. 
It's also an excellent time to spread your compost and uh, and also to fertilise. And don't forget that, uh, you know, some uh, lettuce and things like that need a little bit of nitrogen occasionally. So you mix up a, a, a good um, fertiliser with a bit of nitrogen for them and potassium, particularly for the below-ground crops as mm, well. Mm. But it's excellent just... The whole week is going to be really time off for planting, but time in for maintenance. And I do think that um, uh, things like your raspberries, uh, um, your uh, rhubarb too, but uh, it's it's excellent for sort of just doing your garden maintenance. And I think you'll find too that uh, during this particular cycle, lawns can be done too. Now, if you mow your lawns when the moon is dying down to that new moon coming up in July on Wednesday the 3rd. So you've got all that week. For some reason or another, the lawns don't seem to grow as quickly when you mow them when the last quarter of the moon's in there. That's the best time to mow. And uh, just remember to lift your mower up a little bit mm -hmm. because the the growth is slow. But I do feel it's excellent for that sort of thing. Now, also for your spraying, I, I find that on my um, uh, hibiscus, which is still going profusely where I live at the moment, oh, well done. I find if I, if I get any little bugs on there, I just use a dishwashing liquid, mix it up and spray it all over the, the uh, hibiscus. And that sends the little fellas off left, right and centre. And I don't have to have this, that nasty sprays around. It's all sort of natural stuff. But if you want to really put some heavy sprays on um, your trees and things, your lemon trees and things of that nature, well, of course, you, you've got to use the appropriate sprays. Now, from Thursday the 4th of July, here we've got now the moon entering into Leo and then it moves into Virgo on Saturday and Sunday. Still not the best times for planting, but on Saturday and Sunday of the 6th and 7th of July, is an excellent time for transplanting again. And also you can put your bare-rooted trees in on those two days of the 6th and 7th. So over that weekend, you can do a little bit of uh, transplanting, no vegetable planting, and uh, you can put a few flowers in if you wish over that period, but it's not what I'd class as the most fertile time. I would leave it till the, the following week. But really, I would say you can have a bit of a holiday, gardeners. Oh, good. Uh, and don't forget you can uh, potter around there and uh, do a little bit of weeding. I know people don't like weeding. I hate weeding, but I do it. And I find that if I do it at that time of the, the year and the month, especially during that period of the 26th, of uh, June running through to the um, uh, 3rd of uh, uh, July, you'll find that your weeds die very quickly and also you don't have to worry too much about them coming up quickly because the moon's right at the, the dead part of the moon and consequently the, the weeds hate that and they die very quickly. Good. So there you go. Now also, Jen, mm -hmm. I've got a little tip for you. Now, you know, sometimes fruit trees can be a real pain, especially older trees and then, and especially trees that don't sort of fruit anymore. So, you know, you look at it and you say, shall I rip that tree out? No, 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 no. You don't have to rip that tree out at all. You just get a nice big four-inch nail and hammer it into an angle of 45 degrees just above the ground. And all of a sudden, a tree it, it sort of feels as though it's a female and it's likely to fertilize itself. 
And, and if you fertilize and water well and have that nail in there at a 45-degree angle just above the ground, and you'll find that all of a sudden the tree thinks it's a female and it'll start fruiting oh, again in time. I've so heard that story, but not quite the way you've told me. <laughs> yes, that's right. So it's quite interesting. And, uh, and the best time to hammer the nail into the tree is when the moon is in the third quarter. So that third quarter is just after the full moon, from the full moon down to the next new moon. It doesn't hurt the tree then, you see, so much. And um, and preferably if it's in a, uh, a fertile sign like Cancer, Scorpio, Pisces, Capricorn or Taurus, you'll find that you will get fruit on that tree at a later date. Well, who knew that trees could be transgender? That's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. It's a transgender trees. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very interesting. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Thanks, Milton. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, darling. Well, that was a great episode, don't you think, Jenny? Yes, I do. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does the fast forwards and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at BHGAUS. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then. 